turn there with me. We're going to look at the story of Cain and Abel. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 through 16. You know, some things are special. Some things are ordinary. In my neighborhood, all the houses look the same. They all look ordinary except for my house. My house is special because it's my house. I don't just walk in anybody else's house. My house is special. Relationships are that way as well. Julie and I have been married for 37 years last month. She is very, thank you. Thank you. She's not here to appreciate that, so pray for her. She's with our daughter, Sarah. Sarah's in her last two weeks of pregnancy, and uh, Julie's with her now, and uh, when she goes into labor, I'm going to come back. Daughters are special, amen. Sons are special. You know, Julie's special. I don't treat anyone special. She's special. We have a unique relationship. If I were to treat her ordinary, wouldn't that be sad? If I'd have treated like everyone else, I, I try to treat everyone good, but my wife is special. We have a special relationship. I mentioned last week I've been doing uh, a lot of work in our backyard. I had been treating my backyard as ordinary, like it was everyone else's backyard. In other words, I let it go. And what happens in South Florida when you let your yard go? It starts to close in on you. All these things that shouldn't be growing, grow. And all the things that you wish would grow and develop, don't. And it it just becomes overwhelming, eventually. And you don't really want to go out there in the backyard. And it's like, well, it's there, but let's don't look at it. Let's keep the grapes closed. Um, But I, through the help of a neighbor, began to do some work and started to clear away a lot of the things that were blocking the yard from being enjoyable and getting rid of a lot of those things that had grown up and caused the yard to be ordinary rather than special. The worship of Jesus can be like that. Sometimes we start out with a very special relationship with God, but over time it can become ordinary. When it becomes ordinary, it starts to get all worn out. And it's really not a joyful thing to be worshiping God. When you look at the story of Cain and Abel, it is a story about worship. It's a story about two offerings, one by Abel, one by Cain. One offering is special, and the other offering is ordinary. Let's look at what happens. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Genesis chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. Adam knew Eve, which biblically the word knew, you probably know, means to have sexual intimacy that results in pregnancy. That's typically the way it's described. He knew her. He knew Eve. She conceived and bore Cain, and she says, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And the word Cain, the etymology of that means that 
um, to get, to acquire, to gain. Uh, Sometimes it means to create. But basically she's saying, God has given me, I have gotten a man. Be like naming your child acquire or something like that, right? I've gotten this man from the Lord. It's a very honoring thing to God. She's given God credit for this new life, and uh, I think that's appropriate. Um, she has a second son named Abel, and Abel, Abel is, um, is a keeper of sheep, and Cain is a worker of the ground. Now, this just means that Abel took care of livestock, and Cain actually plowed the ground. Now, this some people find some error in this, and they say, well, it's better to be uh, a, a keeper of livestock than it is to be a farmer. That's that's really not what this is saying because God had told Adam, you will be someone who plows the ground after he gets kicked out of out of Eden. And it's a very honorable job. It's a very honorable career to um, get to farm. It's also a very honorable career to take care of sheep. And so that's what the boys are different. They have different jobs. Uh, both are good and both are honorable. Verse 3. In the course of time... Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. This is the first time an offering is mentioned in Scripture. And you're kind of wondering, well, why did they suddenly do this? It's likely that they are remembering or are trying to duplicate what God did for the parents, Adam and Eve. Remember, God had to sacrifice animals in order to make skin to cover Adam and Eve. That was the first real sacrifice, the first time we see kind of a blood sacrifice, a covering God made for Adam and Eve that resulted in the loss of life was a covering that points forward to Jesus Christ. So that may have what they were thinking, and they they bring an offering to the Lord. Cain's sacrifice came from his work in the field, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Leviticus 2.3 says that the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offering. So there's nothing wrong with the reality he brings grain instead of animal it's perfectly allowable that's not the problem at all the problem is that abel's offering is of the firstborn and includes fat portions this means that abel brought his very best when you bring the firstborn you're saying i'm trusting you lord with the best of the firstborn because i hope there's a secondborn right I mean, if you're subsisting off of these livestock, you're thinking the firstborn, I really need that firstborn. That's why the principle in Scripture is to bring of the first fruits, the firstborn, the things that you get first because you're trusting God with all of the rest. So Abel brings the firstborn. So his offering included risk. It also included self-denial. He brought of the fatty portions, the good food, the the portions that you would most like to enjoy. Abel's saying, I'm going to take what I would most like to have, and I'm going to give it as an offering to the Lord. He's denied himself, and he's giving the Lord his very best. 
about David. But let's look at Kings. Kings was brought from Ahab. There's no description that it was the first fruits. There's no description that it was special. It's simply an offering. It feels kind of obligatory. Almost like a tax. Now, no one does this in this room, but maybe you know some people who do. Do you know people who give to the Lord because they think they have to and that he's going to beat them over the head if he doesn't? Have you ever felt that from anyone? You know, you better give or you're going to get cancer or measles or something, right? That's not how we're to give. We don't give for a tax and that God's going to punish us if we don't give. That's, that's obligation. That's not love. That's how it feels with Cain. He gave an offering. There's no love in it. There's nothing special about it. And as a result, God had no regard for it. We don't know how God expressed it. Did God shout out from heaven, I hate this? Or did he just ignore it like he did when you were 10 and someone gave you a Christmas present and you didn't like it? Did he, did he just say, I, I don't know. He doesn't, he has regard for it. He doesn't think it's special. What we do know is that Cain knew that God did not accept his offering. We know that, that Cain did know that. And we also know that Cain knew that God accepted Abel's offering. And so Cain responds by getting very angry. His face that's one of the faces of Bonhoeffer. The kind of looking down, the edge of their mouth is turned down. They're angry, they're frustrated, they're annoyed, they're disappointed, all in one thing, in just really a very bad mood. It tells us a lot about Cain's heart. How you respond when God doesn't accept something or when God convicts you, it tells everything about you. See, Cain's not repenting, Cain's angry. He expected his offering to result in God's justice. Clearly, he expected something for the offering. It makes you wonder whether Abel got something physical from God as a result of him accepting his offering. It doesn't tell us. Abel knew God accepted it. Cain knew God accepted Abel's offering. And Cain knew God rejected his own offering. He's angry. His face has fallen. His response really confirms that his worship is not special. His offering is not special. It's just ordinary. So what? The Lord pursues, doesn't he? Can we just be thankful that God pursues? I mean, I think I want to just, when I get convicted of something, God, you pursued me. Thank you for that. Thank you for coming after me. With this. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do will, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. See, God has given Cain a way back. He's telling him, how do you get back with me? He says, listen, why be angry? Cain, make your worship special and it's all good. Make your worship special, and, and we're good. But it's not. It's not. This is a very important turning point in the story. 
you're going to lose control. You're going to make some irrational moves. Very interesting. This phrase that sin is crouching at the door and is desirous for you is the same phrase that God uses to describe Eve's sinful tendency. He says, your desire will be for your husband. Your desire will be to rule over your husband, but he will rule over you. Your desire will be to control you. And he's saying sin is waiting there. And if you don't get your worship right, it's going to jump at you. And you're going to do some stuff that doesn't make any sense. Anybody own that? See, ordinary worship makes you vulnerable to the control of sin. When we don't see God as special, when our worship is just ordinary, we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to things we would never connect with worship. Is God asking you to act like Jesus? God showing his approval to others and not you? We've got a problem with worship at the altar, don't we? Sadly, Cain doesn't listen to God's warning. He says, hey, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel. What? I mean, that's a crazy turn in the story if you don't know the story, right? So my brother got some favor from God, so I'm just going to hate him, but I'm going to kill this guy. It's irrational. Abel has no issue here. Abel hasn't done anything against Cain. But he rises up and he kills him. Remember the words of the Lord. Sin is crouching at your door, ready to pounce. You see, ordinary worship leads to bad moves and dead breath. Ordinary worship leads to bad moves and dead brothers. Cain spoke to Abel. Cain killed Abel. Doesn't tell us how he did it. Does tell us he was out in the field, which kind of makes it feel like he's on Cain's territory because the field is probably where he's growing the grain. He brings him out. See, I have this great uh, field here. And by the way, you're dead. Um, This vicious act, though, progression from the sins of Adam and Eve, isn't it? Why did they eat the fruit? Primarily, they wanted to be like God. They wanted to have the knowledge of good and evil. Certainly, they had the knowledge of beautiful things, weren't they? And yet, Cain grabs it. Certainly, he acts like he's God. He gets to decide. He lives on food alone. The Lord again has to warn him. I don't know if I, I was God, I'd be done with Cain, right? Um, the Lord still pursues. Then the Lord said to Cain in verse 9, Where is Abel your brother? He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? It's probably the line most people know from the story, right? Am I my brother's keeper? I don't even like him. Why should I care about him? Why should I know? I mean, here's a guy who just lies in the face of God. He knows exactly what he's not trying to get information out of you. 
opportunity to admit our sin. That's what the Holy Spirit does today, right? You ever have something like that happen? You tell a lie and the Spirit goes, what did I do? What did I do? Commit a sin and you're like, you know, sin of your mind, sin of thought maybe. How did you do that? What did you just do? Still small voice. Holy Spirit loves us so much that he convicts us of the things that drive us crazy. God is in pursuit of Cain. Cain's response, though, reveals his compassionate love. All sense of worship is gone. I don't know where he is. Am I supposed to be keeping him? Yes, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Throughout Scripture, the, the principle throughout the Old Testament law, you are responsible for your brother. You are your brother's keeper. You need to be caring about those around you. Verse 9. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's, your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth. God always wants to hear sorry. I think we all know that intuitively, but do we really act as though he's watching? Does he know? God already knows what's going on. I love the metaphor, you know, the, the blood of your brother Sin doesn't just go away in our lives. He knows exactly. And he, he puts a curse on Cain. It's going to be really almost impossible for you to eat and for you to uh, raise food. And also, no one's going to want to hang out with you. It's going to be hard for you to build relationships. And verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Verse 15. And the Lord said to him, No, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest anyone who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. See, God still cares for Cain. He still cares for Cain. He still is hopeful that Cain might turn. He protects Cain, and Cain, in effect, does have many offspring, as talked about in the genealogy later in the chapter. But he went away from the presence of the Lord, and his worship never turned from ordinary worship. Folks, listen. Ordinary worship leads to bad news and really does. Make your worship special. You may be wondering, well, see, this is the only example. Is there other examples of Scripture? Let me just give you a couple, right? Later in Genesis, there's a man named Joseph, and his father shows what? Favor on Joseph, and his brothers do what? They want to kill him. They would never have thought about this if they could have fixed the relationship they had with their father. So instead of doing that, instead of dealing with their dad, instead of having a convo, they, what do they do? They, they 
basically want to kill their brother. If it wasn't for Reuben, they would have killed him. Their attitude was horrible. Their, their worship was wrong. Their worship was ordinary with their dad. It was a simple, hey, we, we'll respect you as our dad, but, but we're not going to have a close enough relationship to deal with these issues of favoritism. We're instead going to try to kill the apple of your eye. That's what we're going to do. And then the Pharisees in Luke chapter 11, similar thing. Pharisees were the best at it. They knew scripture better than anybody. They were the sharpest. They were the best at keeping the, the rules. But Jesus said this about them in Luke chapter 11, verse 42. He says, but woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. Those you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Here's what he's saying. You actually tithe on how many herbs you have. Imagine that. How small is mint? How small is that? You're tithing on that. You're giving 10% of your mint that you grow. But you've forgotten about loving. You've forgotten about loving. Your worship is ordinary. It's obligatory. It's something that you feel obligated to do. It's not out of love. Jesus is calling them out. They're adhering to the very smallest aspects, but their hearts are not in it. They're obeying without love for God. They had a problem with their worship, and it resulted in them wanting to kill Jesus and supporting his death and his crucifixion. You know, it's not intuitive that our relationships are affected by our worship, but it is supported in Scripture. James 3.16 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile act. See, where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there's going to be all kinds of weird stuff happen. You're going to do so many irrational things. the source of ordinary worship is really dissatisfaction with God. It's dissatisfaction with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's dissatisfaction with what Jesus is allowing to happen in your life. You cannot worship him. You cannot make your your worship special if in fact you don't like the way he feels. If you don't feel like he's blessing you the way he should, you don't feel like he's taking care of things the way he should, there's no way you're ever going to make your worship special. It's going to be ordinary. It's going to be obligatory. It's going to feel like you're pulling a fast. You see, your bad mood and the problem you have with someone close to you might be solved by fixing if you have a problem with someone near you and they're really kind of basically innocent but you just can't stand them you need to start with your worship of Jesus Christ you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind before you can love your neighbor as yourself when you can't get along with someone and they're really, really not sinful start with godly relationship and you need to fix that first Abel's worship was special It was costly. It was risky. And there's no evidence to suggest that he expected anything else. We don't worship to get. We worship out of love because of what we've already got. 
king's worship was ordinary. While no doubt cost him something, it wasn't worship. It really wasn't worship. It was just something he felt like he should do. Let me ask you, which one better describes your worship? See, worship's definition is simply to show worth, to give worth-ship to Jesus, to give worth-ship to the spiritual father. That's what worship is. And there's really three main areas we should look at. First of all, when we come here to gather, is my worship, am I here because it's my habit? Listen, it's a good habit. It's a good habit. I see my wife every day when she's in town because I love her and because it's our normal life. But it shouldn't just be ordinary. It should be special, shouldn't it? We come here, we worship through music, and we express our hearts, hopefully, to God. And we hear God's word preached, and hopefully we respond to that. And we sense his presence, and we give him glory and worship and worship. considering your church, I will always encourage you, it should be special. There should be a special presence in this place, in our hearts, to give a special We also worship through giving. Let me ask you, when you give, is it special or is it ordinary? Are you paying as a habit? Are you giving out of a heart of worship? See, your worship through giving should be expensive. It should be. If it's not, it's kind of ordinary. It should be risky. It should affect your budget and what you spend. It should be. It should require some self-denial where you say, you know what, I'm not going to do this because I want to give to Jesus. It shouldn't just be something you never speak of. It should be something you say, God, I, I want to give this in a way that brings you glory because I'm having to trust you by giving this much. That's special worship. And we also should be worshiping through our daily life, right? Because we want to do everything as unto the Lord. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says this, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Everything you do in school, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your job, among people that you're around, say, God, I want to bring you glory in my heart, in my attitude, and how I live. Because that's worship. I don't want to live an ordinary life, do you? I want to live a life that's special. That says, ah, Jesus, you are so special. So let me ask you. probably makes you in a bad mood to be honest are you in a bad mood is your face falling are you in a bad mood why are you in a bad mood are you having irrationally negative thoughts against a relatively innocent person 10 minutes ago i mean you say you're not ready to commit murder but you're kind of great at it please check your Check your worship. Is it special or is it ordinary? Ordinary worship breeds bad mood and dead brothers. Maybe 
your children. This is not about trying harder. It's about investing myself more in worship. God, I, I give my heart. I allow you access to me. I, I, wanna, I want you to be glorified in everything that I do. That's, that's how I want to live my life because I want it to be special. I don't want it to be ordinary because you are not an ordinary God. You are special. got neglected and it's become ordinary I encourage you simply ask Jesus would you clean out my heart just like you clean just like we clean out our backyards when we get overwhelmed because I want you to be special I don't want to be overgrown with all kinds of weeds and thorns and bushes I want to be beautiful and clean and joyful and maybe you've never Coming to Jesus and and worshiping is just really something that's done out of obligation. You've never received his gift of worship. You've never said, yes, I do. I said, yes, I want to receive your payment for my sin so that I can have your spirit living within me. I've never done that. I hope today I can forgive you. A very special God, a holy God making that invitation to you. Your worship should become special on the days that it does. You can be forgiven of your sin. You can be innocent today. Make your worship special today. Heavenly Father, we confess that at times we do go through the motions. But you are worth so much more than that, Lord. We don't want to in any way degrade you or devalue you as something that we have to do. We we want you to be something we're thrilled to be a part of and someone that we want to constantly bring glory to. Oh, you are a holy, awesome, and special God. We want to be your people. We want you to get glory by how we live constantly worship you. We praise you, Jesus, for loving us, for always being in pursuit of us. And God, I pray for those today who would say they, I've never received that gift of salvation. I've never known that joy, that power of your spirit in my life. God, today be the day. I simply ask you, Lord, I, I don't want to be that way. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I want to repent of my sins draw people to you today and worship. In Jesus' name I pray.